episode of the Eagles water cooler I'm joined tonight by Mike just a gruesome twosome getting after it tonight talking some birds Mike how are we doing good um always happy that it's Friday I don't I mean used to be weird because used to work in the music industry so I would be working Saturday Friday Saturday and Sunday so it would just feel like I was getting into it but now that I'm used to the Monday through Friday work week it's um it's great great to be uh done with a long week yeah, and big, a big so, relief. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. sure. And uh, matched with that, the weather is starting to warm up a little bit uh, in the greater Philadelphia area. And we are uh, hopefully turning the corner out of winter and slowly but surely into spring uh, with March coming up on Monday. But uh, since we've last done a podcast, there have been a lot of changes for the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, we're just going to start right from probably the most important piece of news that's emerged since then. Uh, the Carson Wentz uh, is reported to uh, be traded to the Indianapolis Colts. Obviously, none of the trades can become official until the new league year. But Carson Wentz was traded for a 2021 third round pick, which is the 84th pick overall, as well as a 2022 conditional second round pick that can become a first uh, if Wentz either plays 70% of the snaps and the Colts make the playoffs in 2021, or if Wentz plays 75% of the snaps. So those are the figures of the trade uh, as reported. But Mike, what are your thoughts on the Wentz trade? Um, I mean, it's tough to see the guy go, uh, especially when we gave up so much for him. And I mean, I guess there's a lot of mixed emotions about this. There's been a lot of stories coming out about Carson not wanting to be here. Maybe Carson um, wasn't such a great teammate. And then on the flip side of that, you've got stories about maybe the Eagles didn't handle Carson the right way. And maybe it was an organizational failure, uh, not necessarily something that's on him. You know, so I would say mixed emotions and... On top of this, Carson is my uh, jersey that I own currently. So, uh, me, you know, I'm a little um, torn about what to do. I, I guess maybe I could pose this as a question. You know, if you're if you're one of many Eagles fans who owns a Carson Wentz jersey right now, you know, what do you do with it? I think that's a really fair question, uh, and I think it it probably it goes back to what you were talking about in being complicated that you've got this thing that uh, you invested in and you wanted to sort of see it through and have it for a long time. But it turns out that period of time was sort of cut short by a number of circumstances, which we can get into. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's a piece of memorabilia in a certain kind of way, but it does have to do with sort of the bigger umbrella of what's Wentz's legacy. Um, Truthfully, I'm glad the Wentz trade happened, so to speak. Obviously, again, it, it won't be official until the new league year, but I'm glad it happened because it was just an ongoing saga that brought a lot of drama to the team. 
And I think it's unfortunate just how complicated it is. And part of that complication is that Wentz has such a unique career so far in that he came in, uh, was part of a seven and nine team his rookie year after a really hot start going three, and zero and sort of, you know, making the league aware of him. And then in 2017, having an MVP worthy campaign that was cut short by injury, having some good performances in 18 and 19, but again, dealing with injury. Uh, this is a complicated road he's had in his first five years. And as part of a bigger NFL landscape, we've seen uh, in the year that Wentz was drafted, 2016, the first overall pick in Jared Goff, and now the second overall pick from that year in Carson Wentz, uh, be traded from the teams they were drafted to. So this is definitely uh, historic, I think, in a number of ways. But in terms of the trade itself, I think it's easy for us as Eagles fans to be upset about it, especially those that were sort of rooting for Wentz as uh, those who bought jerseys or just those who, you know, enjoyed them. I know I have a Wentz jersey that I bought this year, which makes me think that I'm bad luck in some way. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, um, it's a complicated situation because Wentz was a player who wanted out. So the fact that Howie Roseman or the Eagles front office could get any compensation for him, uh, let alone compensation that could become a first round pick. I think that's something um, it's, it probably will never match what the Eagles uh, gave up to be able to acquire Carson Wentz with the second overall pick back in 2016. But I do think that I'm glad it's over and I'm glad we got something for it. And honestly, if Wentz, uh, matches those numbers and we get that uh, first round pick in 2022 or if Wentz doesn't and becomes injured again or has issues where he's not able to play uh, in Indy then you know I don't know how we feel about the trade then maybe we think it was good we got out when we did so there's a lot of outcomes um, that, that we can see for the future of Carson Wentz but obviously as Eagles fans we turn our attention back to the team so in looking at uh, Wentz's his time here do you think that the way this ended uh, him sort of leaking things that he wanted out even going back to the season uh, do you think that outweighs in some way his successes on on the field as a player um, well again talking about his legacy well yeah just to start off we're not entirely sure it was Wentz that was leaking things to the media in fact my suspicion is that it was most likely Howie Roseman leaking things to the media about Wentz wanting out, initiating the trade talks. Um, and just, you know, to go back on, um, you know, was Wentz, uh, was the trade compensation enough? I, I think one of the scarier things to me is, you know, if Wentz goes to the Colts and shows that he, is a high caliber um, top 10 quarterback in this league, then it really points out that there is like an institutional failure inside of the Eagles organization to um, be able to take a talented player and make sure that, that, you know, you realize that talent on the field. So part of me is scared. Um, whether the compensation is enough, like you said, is to be seen. And then in, in terms of his legacy, you know, he contributed to getting that Super Bowl. Um, and that was a, you know, that's a huge contribution. So I think he will always be remembered uh, fondly in this city. I think only time will tell. And maybe as more stuff comes out, um, 
about how people view Wentz, but I think I think he's I think he's going to be remembered ultimately as a, um, a an unfortunate circumstance that you know didn't pan out, but helped us win a Super Bowl. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I'm right there with you. Uh, I think it's one of those things where we probably will look back and have to acknowledge what he did in 2017 and the MVP campaign that he was on. But I, I think by the same token, this a lot of this um, ending has been, again, drama filled, has been challenging as an Eagles fan to sort of watch. And it's unfortunate that when Wentz was drafted and the promise he showed made us think he would be the quarterback for the next 10 years and uh, within a certain small window, especially for quarterbacks who were just drafted uh, both Wentz and golf to have uh, been traded from their original teams. Who knows? Maybe, um, maybe this is the beginning of sort of a new era with the NFL where the staying power of even a first or second overall pick is really performance-based and one bad year or a couple of bad years or injuries uh, makes a big difference. But I think it is a complicated legacy. Um, the fact that a first round pick is possible, albeit next year, I think is promising. Um, and a third round pick this year is nice to have. Um, I was rooting for Carson Wentz. I, I hope that the situation would turn out differently, but I think it will be a, a sort of complicated history where he's got a, a really good uh, year that we can all look back on a, a stellar year. I mean, when Carson Wentz was great, he was great, but we, we saw that in a, in a compressed sort of way. And beyond that two-year stretch, I guess I'll say overall, um, there were a lot of outliers and injuries were part of it. But I think there will be an asterisk next to uh, Carson Wentz for at least the next little while. I think in, in 10 years, we'll look back and say he was great and, and he went on to be great because I do think that there is a likelihood he goes to Indianapolis and is very successful. Yeah, I was just going to follow that up, Chris, and ask you, if Wentz ever plays in Philadelphia again, uh, whether that be on the Colts or another team, what reception would the fans give him? That's a really great question. Um, I would be interested to see him play in the stadium because knowing that he's a player who, uh, who has dealt with things like the backup quarterback winning the Super Bowl or this year, um, the Eagles having spent a second round draft pick on Jalen Hurts, who we're going to get to in a moment, those things had a big effect on Wentz in a negative way. Um, they sort of lived in his head and I could see Wentz coming here and having a classic bad Carson Wentz game uh, on that account. Um, but by the same token, when he was a great competitor, like I think about in 2017, when he goes to Carolina on a Thursday night and beats the Panthers, um, you know, the, there are moments where he can step up. Uh, I don't think he's quite the same player, if I'm being honest. Uh, and, and that's not trade related. It's just watching him on the field. He doesn't look as uh, agile to me um, from the back injury and from the knee injury. But at the same time, he's a player who knows how to compete and he's played at a really high level in this league. And at one point when they did the NFL top 100 was the third uh, ranked player on that list. Take it for what it's worth, but it's voted on by the players. Uh, from a fan perspective, will the fan, Philadelphia Eagles fan base uh, applaud or boo this guy? I think they'll boo him. In the short term, I think it'll be a boo. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it's a lot of the way that it ended. But I believe the Eagles will next play the Colts 
2022, so next season, and out in Indianapolis. So we'll have to wait a few more years till it's back right. if that's where he still is. And if that's the case, I think when he finally makes it back to Philly, I think enough time will have passed. Um, I think if next year's game was in Philly, yeah, I think I think the booze would rain down uh, at the yeah. left. That's, that's just what my gut tells me. I agree, and I, and I, you know, it kind of brings me to the realization that his legacy is not set in stone right now. It really is dependent upon a lot of things that happen in the future. If he goes to Indianapolis and you know ends up having a hell of a career, then hopefully the fan base is smart enough to realize that the Eagles did something wrong with this guy. Like they did not realize his potential and that's on, that's on us. And that's, you know, we should put that pressure on the organization, not on Wentz. And so, you know, maybe, maybe his legacy is um, like we said, you know, it's a mixed one, but it maybe people feel for the guy. If he goes and he's a bust, then yeah, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more of a, a negative reception and, you know, he gets more booze later on down the line. Yeah, and I can appreciate that idea of his legacy sort of still being made in the in the present moment and, and in the future uh, in 2021 and, and seasons beyond with Indy, how he is able to play out there. But he'll be forever associated, at least with uh, the most successful Eagle season, obviously, in their history. So without Carson Wentz being here, having been traded to the Colts, uh, the only Eagles quarterback on the roster is Jalen Hurts. And we'll just jump right into it. Do you think, Mike, uh, as a fan in this moment with what we know now, do you think that Jalen Hurts should start in 2021? Yes, um, absolutely, I do. And um, it also goes into my thinking behind the, you know, like what the, the moves that Howie Roseman made in order to get Jalen Hurts. Um, I've kind of been going back and forth about this a lot. You know, once Carson Wentz got dealt, um, uh, this podcast, the crew on this podcast, we have a, a thread and we said like, oh, well, the Eagles, and we'll get into this. What will the Eagles do at pick six? Um, could they repeat possibly, you know, drafting another quarterback? Or um, I really do think that the Eagles are invested in Hurts. Um, it makes more sense that they wouldn't want to start another guy because it gives off the impression that they did something wrong in the first place and don't have the plan in place to move forward into the future. So, you know, that makes me think that they're all in on Jalen Hurts. They were willing, they were willing to deal Wentz and, um, you know, Hurts had a good body of work last year. There's a new coach coming in. Um, there's obviously some development that can uh, go into getting a better performance this upcoming year. So I fully expect Jalen Hurts to be the starter um, starting week one next year. What, what about yourself? I do think uh, he, he should start. And I think he does deserve it based on what little we saw last year, which was a, a small sample size. But one thing that you said really stuck out to me there, Mike, in that uh, the Eagles also seem to have some faith in Hurts. And, uh, we'll talk about the possibility of them taking a quarterback in this year's in, draft, excuse me, in, in just a moment. But um, I do think that their use of the 53rd overall pick in the 2020 draft on Jalen Hurts, combined with the fact that this year 
uh, as their quarterback coach, they brought in a guy who has a lifelong relationship with Jalen Hurts and with his family um, in Brian Johnson, who was the offensive coordinator uh, at the University of Florida. So I think that they're trying to set this guy up to be successful. Um, there are two wide receivers who will probably both go in the first round, maybe even the top 10 in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell, uh, with whom Hertz has playing experience when he was at Alabama. So I could see the Eagles, as they've already started to situate themselves around Jalen Hurts, uh, continuing to support him. But the way that he performed last year can't just be looked at uh, by virtue of the numbers. I know that historically in the NFL, he achieved, I think it was the most uh, passing and rushing yards, maybe to, to reach 500 for both in, in just his first few starts. So clearly the guy has some ability. He came in in a tense atmosphere with all the drama surrounding Carson Wentz, uh, the team being in disrepair. And I think with more experience with the, the offensive weapons, the Eagles still do have Miles Sanders, Dallas Goddard, some of the young receiving core um, with a continuous O-line that's hopefully going to be a little bit healthier with Lane Johnson, with Brandon Brooks, uh, with Jason Kelsey, hopefully fingers crossed there. I do like Hertz's game. I like what I see from his play. Uh, he's not my favorite style of quarterback because he's sort of thought of as being run first, but I think he showed a little something last year. Um, I want to say I read something where if he had four touchdowns, he threw four last year, three of the four of them came on fourth down or third down. So, you know, he, he's a guy who can make plays. He comes from a, a program, two different programs in Alabama and Oklahoma that have high pedigree. So I, I think he's a guy who can be a gamer. And I, I'd like to see him have this year um, and for the Eagles to sort of follow that because they've invested uh, last year in the, in the 2020 draft, a 53rd overall pick in this guy's second round pick when some teams had a much lower grade on Jalen Hurts as late as the fourth round. So I think he's a guy who's, who's got ability um, and it, it's worth taking 2021 to see what, what that can be with a full season, a full off season and a, and a healthier team around him. Absolutely. And at this point where the organization is at, um, you know, obviously we're carrying a huge cap hit by trading Carson Wentz. Um, the Eagles are forced to get younger fast, with, which might be a really happy accident. Um, so why not see what you have in Hurts? Um, you know, why not start this guy and see what he is? Give him 16 games this year to uh, see what he can do. The other thing that like just sticks out in my mind, and I don't know if this is a narrative that is worth pushing, but um, something that just pops out to me about Howie Roseman and talking last year or after last year's draft about missing out on Russell Wilson. Um, you know, they were going to draft Russell Wilson and another team had uh, taken them right before they could pick them. Um, I think they view that this situation with Jalen Hurts very similarly, uh, if not the whole team, Howie uh, views Jalen as, you know, that type of talent who can uh, become, develop into a really great player. So, I, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens. And I mean, on that narrative, Howie's job is really, I, I think is probably really invested in Hertz's performance on this upcoming year. 
That's a great point. I think, you know, Howie really is probably living on the razor's edge with this draft and, and the way that this offseason is handled to build for the team really beyond 2021. And, and that's a hard thing to admit as an Eagles fan that we're probably staring down the barrel of a season where because they're in the process of officially a rebuild um, that we can sort of know that this year is, is to come with limited expectation. And if they're able to make a run, great. Um, but that we're at a point now where there's been a change in the coaching, there's been a major change at the quarterback position, and those two pillars really dictate sort of what the future is going to be of your team. There's a lot of learning that's still got to go on in relationships, excuse me, that have to be built between some of those core pieces before we can really talk about a team that can be competitive. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, actually, let me just... Um add to the point that at least at the state of their careers right now, it seems like Hertz has the more um, mental toughness that is needed to be a quarterback in the NFL than Wentz. Just based off of the, uh, the stories that we're hearing coming out about Carson, not that he was a bad guy or a bad teammate, but um maybe wasn't necessarily a leader or looked up to by the other players in the locker room. Um, wasn't the right presence to motivate the other people on the team. And, and it seems like hurts. I mean, it's a very limited sample size, but you hear that kind of like camaraderie from his teammates about his play and wanting to play with him that I think might be, you know, that, that's definitely a positive in Jalen's favor over Carson. I agree with you. I think he kind of showed leadership at a time where the team was really in peril for their season and comes in amidst a lot of drama halfway through the Packers game and performs pretty well in the short amount of time he's in that game. And then comes into the next week's game against New Orleans at home in Philly and wins against all odds when New Orleans was red hot as one of the best teams in the NFC. So I, I think he's come in and shown himself to be a player who even despite controversy, despite having a history of being at Alabama, leaving because Tua was playing in front of him, going to another program, rebuilding. Um, he's a coach's son. He's a football guy, I think, through and through. And it really seems to me that Jalen Hurts is able to weather this stuff. And I really like his temperament. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with his being able to sort of absorb this situation and work through it instead of what I think Wentz was really working against in that, you know, he, his backup quarterback had success. The team had drafted um, a, a quarterback in the second round, but you know, this is the NFL uh, and that's, you know, for Carson and everybody else, you know, this is not a, a situation where your job is ever truly safe because there's always someone younger or potentially more talented coming up. And I really think you make a great point, Mike, and that the type of leadership the Eagles need, it seems like, Jalen Hurts has been able to provide that. And this is when he was coming as the number two quarterback. And it's to, to round this out worth us as fans seeing what it's like when he's the number one quarterback. So let's hope the Eagles do that. Um, I, I want to ask you just on a percent chance, and we can just touch on this and then we'll get to sort of a fun retrospective question, but what percent chance do you think that the Eagles spend their sixth overall pick on a quarterback in this year's draft, the 2021 draft? And rule the possibility out, but I would put it um, very low, a uh, very low percentage. Let's say I'm going to go 6%. And the reason is that 
if the Eagles do draft a quarterback at six, I think they do send the message out to the fan base and, and everyone that they made, a, they messed up. Um, they're in a vulnerable situation uh, if they do that. And I don't think they want to, even if they don't believe in Jalen Hurts and they do think they should draft a quarterback. I mean, maybe that's a different scenario. I don't think they, they will. I don't think, um, I think they ha- think they're deliberate with selecting Jalen Hurts and you know that's a that's a small likelihood what about yourself I like that word deliberate and I think if if they were to draft a quarterback at six it would completely upend having spent that uh second round pick last year and make them look really foolish so um my gut tells me that it would be foolish and that there's no chance that they would do that but I also know that they sent uh, scouts. They were one of a handful of teams to send scouts down to see Trevor Lawrence's pro day. Um, And some, some of that may be actual interest. Some of it may just be sort of posturing to the rest of the league. And the Eagles are in a position where we won't really know um, because they want to appear like they're in the quarterback market because that helps them in the draft um, for teams who are much more quarterback needy and don't have a Jalen Hurts to, to fall back on. Um, that's one thing about Nick Sirianni's press conference. I thought, you know, to at the time have Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts that mo- there are teams out there uh, who, who might not have a quarterback that they're really f- having any faith in at all. So the fact that we have Jalen Hurts here as a second round pick just from last year uh, and we've seen him have some success and like you said, mentally uh, be able to overcome some odds and lead the team. I think that's worth seeing through. If I have to put a number on it, though, I have to be honest. I think six is way too low. I'm going to make it. I'll say. Uh, I'll say maybe 26. Uh, just to, just to add a little bit more to it, because I think there's always a chance with Howie Roseman saying things like quarterback factory just last year that maybe they do want to invest in that position and maybe because they're in such a state of rebuild, they're willing to wipe the slate clean. I really don't think it's, um, I really don't think it's wise as an organization and I don't think they will, but I'll put it a little bit higher. I'll put it at 26 just to add a little juice to the. Yeah. And I, I mean, like just to follow up on that, I think since Howie is still the GM and the one making the calls, he will not do it because he's admitting he did wrong. Um, somewhere along the lines if he selects a quarterback with the first pick it it really is is saying that you know the eagles the eagles don't have a plan right now and they're starting over from scratch um they don't really believe in hurts there's so many other areas your team could uh benefit to improve in and i think it sends a really bad message of how he does it that's why i'm down at six percent i like 26 percent because there's obviously a chance you can't put anything past these guys and who knows what they're going to do. We don't even know what position they're going to draft. Absolutely. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I think you're dead right about, um, about how not wanting to sort of admit that he was wrong. And also that you have a sample size with Jalen hurts. And I would argue part of the reason how he still has a job is because he had the foresight to take Jalen hurts. Now you might say Jalen hurts, you know, contributed to the Carson Wentz thing, this and that, but I think in a lot of ways we can look at this situation and say, if the Eagles were picking at six and were desperate with no quarterbacks, which would be their situation, if not for Jalen hurts uh, or probably a later round or undrafted free agent quarterback from last year, 
um, that Howie still does have a job. So, you know, he may have just wanted to read the tea leaves with COVID and have a quarterback that you could trade to another team and, and just have two assets on the team. But in some ways, I think he's connected to Jalen Hurts. And, and we've seen enough as, as Eagles fans to hope that he will be the quarterback in 2021. Um, the other thing is picking at six, you don't really have um, the chance to get the best players. Uh, those two being Trevor Lawrence and some say uh, Zach Wilson, some say Justin Fields. I really think the Eagles at six are probably a little bit behind where they would need to be and would probably have to give up a lot just to move up two or three spots to be in a position where they could take a quarterback. So I'm okay with 26, but I even think in my fan mind, it's even less than that. But as you said, with Howie at the helm, still, who knows? Um, let's flip yeah. it a little bit to a, a sort of a retrospective fan question here. I was just reflecting a little bit and I, I did, uh, I think I sent you this um on the agenda for tonight, Mike, a, a reference for um, some of the Eagles draft pick, pick, excuse me, over our fan lifetime. So to me, I think when I think yeah. back to why don't why don't you set the question up? And if you want to go first, I, I feel like you should take this one first and then throw it to me. It's a it's a really it's a it's a challenging one. I think my gut tells me that both of us would probably say Brian Dawkins if it's in our whole fan lifetime. Um, that it would have to be. Uh, but uh, when I first formulated the question, I thought about making it first round picks, but the Eagles have such a rough history when it comes to first round picks. I wanted to kind of widen the gap. Um, my first instinct was Jeremy Macklin. I think Jeremy Macklin was a great, okay. uh, great pick when he was here. I believe he was a second round pick out of Missouri. Um, was a great receiver while he was here, was the number one, went over a thousand yards, I think a couple times. Uh, his time was just sort of cut short by contract sort of situations and, and him, you know, winding up leaving town um, when Chip Kelly was still here. But Macklin was one who really stuck out in my mind um, as a as sort of a secondary one. I'll say Lane. Uh, I think Lane is a really good uh, first round pick and he's probably the highest pick that we had. I think he was fourth maybe overall uh, in 2013. Uh, in Wait, are we are we limiting this to first round? No. No, okay. I, I was saying if, if we had, yeah, yeah, yeah. we would have slim pickings because the Eagles gotcha. have really bad first round pick. So I'm widening it because Macklin, I, I think, is the second, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll say Macklin yeah. and, uh, and Lane. But I was torn because obviously Shady's in there. And yeah, you go ahead. Um, yeah, that's, um, those, are, those are great guys. Um, if I had to go with best Eagles draft pick of all time in our lifetime during our fanhood. Uh, it's, it's, it's gotta be B West. It's gotta be B West. I mean, Villanova's how, how did, first of all, I just looked this up. He's, he was picked in the third round. Third round pick. How for, for, you know, arguably the best running back in franchise history. How did yeah. no other team see that Brian Westbrook was going to be such a stud in the NFL? Um, you know, what he could do on the field, anytime Westbrook had the ball in the open field, it was a play. There was always, the game was always still going if the ball was in his hands in the open field. Um, and he was just such a difference maker and really like, you know, you know, back in the day when it was McNabb and Westbrook, 
you had such a, I had such a confidence that if Westbrook was involved in the game, it was just as important as if Donovan was involved in the game. And, um, you know, he really carried such weight as Westbrook went, the offense went. Um, That's a great call. It's a great way of putting it. Yeah. He was such a weapon on the field and, and as a receiving threat and a running threat that, sort of is the new mold of a, a running back, a really good running back in the NFL. Brian Westbrook was sort of the prototype. Um, and yeah, to be taken in the third round. I mean, that's really, um, yeah, that's, that's worth mentioning. So, you know, I, Mike, Mike mentioned uh, Brian Westbrook there. I mentioned Jeremy Macklin, uh, Lane Johnson. I think uh, LaShawn McCoy is worth bringing up. Obviously Deshaun Jackson is, is worth bringing up. Um, we also, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say Donovan McNabb and, you know, he's second overall pick in 1999. And first of all, a lot of, um, a lot of these guys we're naming are Andy Reid picks, um, which Andy didn't necessarily have the best reputation for drafting, but he sure has selected a lot of really great, like hidden talent you know donovan was selected second um i forget who the i think was it ryan leaf was the number one yeah overall quarterback I think uh deshaun was not a first rounder um macklin like Deshaun's you said second. uh there's just a lot of guys he saw talent and he knew how to pick football players um and yeah donovan was definitely probably one of the best selections we've ever made given the success he had when he played here. Yeah. And I think Donovan is, is worth mentioning. I think, you know, part of what we might turn back to about Wentz's legacy is, you know, how that, how that pick is looked at now for all that was given up. And, and obviously some of that is still uh, remaining to be seen with not knowing what his future is going to hold with uh, Indianapolis. But uh, I think all the players we mentioned are, are in there. Um, Jeremiah Trotter is another one who comes to mind. Um, that's worth mentioning. I think both of us at the outset, as I mentioned, probably would have just gut reaction said Brian Dawkins, but there are some in there. Interestingly, a lot of them, not first round picks. Um, Trey Thomas, Trent Cole. Trey Thomas. Trent Cole is a great one. Fifth over fifth round, excuse me. Uh, I mean, that was, that was quite a fun. Jason Kelsey, I think is probably another one who I think was a sixth round pick. Uh, Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz. Um, so Zach Ertz and, and Lane Johnson, both in the same draft, if I'm not mistaken, 2013. So, and that was at a time where the Eagles already had Brent Selleck. So they do right. have a, a history of, you know, investing, uh, in the draft, uh, with some players that wind up contributing, but it, it seems to us that this year is absolutely crucial when it comes to the draft. And, uh, Mike has been sort of our resident cornerback expert when it's come to the draft, at least for this year. And before we even really get into this, Mike, I was just curious, what has sort of sparked your interest so much in, uh, evaluating these prospects? Because anytime I have a question about, uh, somebody I'll, I'll ask Mike to watch some, uh, YouTube clips and things like that. And he'll come back with some analysis. And it seems like you've got sort of a passion for this position. Yeah, well, I think in past years, you know, college college players have always been, you know, something either you watch professional sports or you watch college sports. Um, obviously, there are people who do a little bit of both or maybe a lot of both. Um, coming to the draft, it all or the draft, it always seemed kind of like a crapshoot to me. Um, you know, they pick a player, you're excited that they're going to pick a player and then a player gets named and you don't really know much about the guy so how much can you get excited about it um so why not dive 
a little deeper into the process? Why not understand it a little bit more? And to me, it just seemed like a good thing. Um, it's not that I value the cornerback position more over other positions, but I thought, man, if I'm really going to dive deep into like a granular, granular level on, um, you know, options the Eagles could select at a position of need, why not just pick one and look at the players inside of that, um, you know, to see their strengths and weaknesses. And ultimately when the Eagles do select one of these players, I'll know a little bit about it. So, you know, I think it was just, um, setting a manageable goal of what I could actually do as a fan to evaluate a certain, just one position group, um, and not try to take on too much and get lost in the whole thing. Uh, if that makes sense. It does. And I think, you know, for, for such a long time, uh, the Eagles have dealt with, um, uncertainty at the defensive back position across the board. Obviously we've had the greats. We mentioned Brian Dawkins earlier, excuse me, Asante Samuel, and most recently Darius Slay uh, acquired via trade. And so Troy Vincent, Troy Vincent, Bobby Taylor, Lito uh, Shepard, Lito Shepard, Sheldon Brown, right. That they've had yeah. their players. Um, but, you know, when we look at this um, position over the years, it's one that season in and season out, we have issues with. Um, even in uh, 2017, the, the games that the Eagles lost, a lot of them, it's because the defensive backs were getting thrown all over and the receivers were just having a, a day. Yeah, obviously, in the Super Bowl, uh, Tom Brady racked up over 500 yards passing the ball. So I think it's a, a position of need. And I, I've always thought it was interesting, um, you know, looking at the corners in the league who are successful and thinking about their draft stock and thinking about some of the other positions. And I would say the, the other big prize position, position, excuse me, in Philadelphia is the wide receiver position. Um, that when we look at those two things that we, we at least this year have a almost cupboard bear situation. We have Darius Slay. Um, we have some backup players, but we're, we're dealing with a little bit of a question mark. Uh, and, when we think about this year where the Eagles might want to use their draft capital, uh, I, I assume, Mike, that you would think that they should use a first round pick on a, on a corner. Is that, is that your feel as of today? Again, there's a lot to still be figured out, but. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. What am I feeling today? To be honest, when we started talking earlier, I was thinking, yeah, we should get an offensive player. Um, it does change day to day, which is, you know, really strange because, you can make the point on either side and it's, it's really hard. I think as a, just, you know, your typical fan to try to evaluate a football team and a lot of people who watch football, I, I played a little bit of football back in middle school. Um, so I have a little bit of background, but really I don't, I don't know the sport that well. I just go off what my eyes tell me. And there, you know, football is such a complex sport that it really makes, um, for a really interesting game. And I think that's why it, it draws the attention that it, that it actually does because of how many moving pieces there are in it. Um, it's really tough. I, I, it's hard to decide on what position for whatever reason today, I'm feeling, I'm feeling offense. I, I, I think they should take a weapon on offense, but I don't know. As you can tell, I'm a little lost. All right. Well, we're going to do something to kind of help this a little bit in that we're going to do a few mock drafts here and evaluate some cornerbacks 
um, in the first at least three rounds of the draft. And I think we can probably both agree that it's worth the Eagles spending their first three picks in this year's draft, barring a trade, which are the uh, sixth overall, the 37th overall, and uh, I believe their third round pick is the 70th overall. Um, so we can agree it would be worth the Eagles using uh, a pick on one of those, I'm sorry, on a cornerback with one of those. The question is where and aren't, invest. aren't we getting another second round pick uh, for Wentz? Uh, it's a third round pick. Oh, it's a third round pick. Yeah, yeah. it's a third round pick in 2021. So um, the other sure. thing you mentioned here is that um, John Gannon, who's the Eagles defensive coordinator, is a former defensive backs coach. And he was really highly sought after in this offseason. It's, it's thought that the Eagles are fortunate that Nick Sirianni has a pre-existing relationship with uh, John Gannon so that they were able to get him in here and probably seek to repair the Eagles defensive backfield, which is really just littered with question marks. So uh, that having been said, we're going to get to it. And what I'm going to do is use the draft networks mock draft machine. And we're going to go through and we'll imagine uh, that the Eagles are seeking to take a corner in the first round. So I'll take a look here and see how the board falls for us. Uh, I'm going to start the mock draft. And it's just getting to the Eagles pick now. And without looking at any trades, just to keep this a straightforward conversation, um, at six, the Eagles have, they have their choice of um, still many good receivers, including Jamar Chase. Uh, but let's imagine that they're choosing to take a cornerback. So you have uh, Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan who are on the board and both I think would be picks worthy of the sixth overall. Mike, who would you take there? Yeah, with that, between those two players, I'm taking Patrick Sertan. Uh, the, the Eagles have gotten burned too many times in the past for not selecting the player who played at the top program in college um, with the proven pedigree. Not only that, Sertan has been the top recruit since he graduated high school. Um, he comes from a family of football players, and he has played under the scrutiny and the pressure since he got to Alabama and he has done nothing but deliver, I think he continues to grow. I think Patrick Sertan is one of the more sure, uh, sure bet draft picks you could make. Caleb Farley, tons of talent. Um, maybe he's a little bit better than Sertan, but at this point, I would rather take more of a sure thing um, than a little bit of a gamble. Chris? I'm, I'm going with you, Mike. And, and part of the reason is this pedigree also of Patrick Sertan's father having been a successful NFL corner, that he comes from that pedigree uh, and has that sort of legacy already built into him, that he's been so highly sought after throughout his career, as Mike mentioned. Um, just to compare it from a strictly numbers point of view, I'll talk about Farley first here. So Farley is 6'2", 207. He spent two years playing at Virginia Tech and uh, opted out of this year. Um, he has six interceptions over his career, one uh, pick six, 19 passes defended, 56 total tackles, one of which was a, to a tackle for loss. Excuse me. He's a former quarterback and receiver. He was a receiver uh, recruit coming into Virginia Tech and converted uh, to be a cornerback. Um, and he's projected to run a 4-4-5. And that last part there, um, his projected 40 time and his just flat out speed may be his sole advantage over uh, Sertan. So to talk about Sertan a little bit, who is projected to run closer to a 4-5, 
Sertan played three years at Alabama. He's 6'2", 202 pounds. He has four interceptions over his career, one of which is a pick six. He has 24 passes defended, four forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. In terms of tackles, he has 116 tackles, six of which were tackles for loss. So his numbers really jump out, and his physicality is really what stands out when you watch him. To me, Farley, although uh, the numbers that we gave are a little bit heavier, Farley carries it a little bit differently. Sertan is an imposing figure uh, when you watch him on the field. And just watching the highlight tape, you might be drawn to Farley's plays on the ball because he seems to have that quickness and, and to be – uh, a ball hawk, but Sertan, although he doesn't make as many, uh, hasn't had as many interceptions, he seems to constantly be in the way of uh, receivers and be swatting passes. So I, I really like that Sertan pick there. And I think if it came down to it, I'd feel more confident about Sertan, who comes from a line of cornerbacks and has played the position for a long time. I think Farley's athleticism is appealing, his speed is appealing, but the fact that he's still learning the position in a certain kind of sense uh, that I would rather go with someone who, who comes from that background is, is a corner through and through if I'm going to spend the six overall. So I think we're, we're in lockstep there, Mike, let's take a look sure. at what it, what it would uh, look like if the Eagles decided to not use their first round pick on a cornerback, but use their second round pick on a cornerback. So we're being really intentional from a positional point of view of uh, where the Eagles might use a pick and who's available there for them at the cornerback position. So I'm going to start the next draft here. This one's shaking out a little bit differently in the early goings. So um, kind of side conversation, but Jamar Chase went second overall. Trevor Lawrence was first. Uh, Penny Sewell went third to the Dolphins. Zach Wilson, the other uh, quarterback from BYU, went fourth to the Falcons and Rashawn Slater uh, tackle went fifth to the Bengals. So the Eagles uh, have on the board, Kyle Pitts and Jalen Waddle. Who do you think they should take there? We'll get to the corners in a second, but who do you think they should take between those two? I know this has been kind of a running theme for us. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it's trading an option as well. Trading is an option as well. And we could trade, you know, we can explore at the end of this. I, I think in both of these trades, we've, I'm sorry, both of these mocks we've done tonight, it would have been possible to trade back and probably still get a first round corner, either Farley or Sertan, but probably not have your pick of both. Um, but knowing that this go round, we're going to pick a corner in the second round. Um, who would you take between Pitts and Waddle? That's a tough one. I mean, we laid out earlier that Hertz has a history with Waddle. Um, so there's already that connection coming into the next year. But um, I think one tough uh, pill to swallow as an Eagles fan right now is to know next year we're not going to be that great of a football team. So maybe an immediate connection isn't exactly what we need. Um, who's the better player between the two of them? Like, ah, it's really hard for somebody like me to say, compared to a wide receiver and um, tight end. So I'll, I'll go off, you know, my gut feeling that uh, Pitts is probably the better player let's overall. Take, and yeah, let's take Kyle Pitts. I, th I think uh, what makes me steer more toward Kyle Pitts, obviously the relationship with between Hertz and Waddle is, is a big appeal. Obviously Waddle's speed, excuse me, if you've watched him play, 
is is a huge appeal um, from a fan perspective. He just just flies. But uh, Kyle Pitts being a bigger target, uh, Jalen Hurts, you know, having a decent arm, but not necessarily a downfield arm consistently. Um, that having a, a solid tight end who can come in when Dallas Goddard uh, needs a break, or to have both tight ends on the field at the same time, or you know, to use them in variation. And also, I, you know, just looking at Pitts' tape, I think he's the type of player who, you know, he's listed as a tight end, but I think you would see him lining up in the slot quite a bit uh, more often than he would. Yeah, more often than you would see him lining up where uh, Dallas Goddard does. And, and I think maybe they could coexist together really well, even without being in like 12 man personnel in case Sirianni doesn't want to go that route uh, for the Eagles offense. So you know, Pitts really is a versatile player. He can still play that slot receiver position. Um, and he's a hell of an athlete. Yeah, I, I, look, I think we're agreed. Yeah, and, and he also adds such size to the position. You know, uh, the remainder of the, uh, the wide receivers, anyway, if we're looking at Pitts as sort of a hybrid, are, are on the smaller side. Greg Ward, Jalen Rager, uh, Travis Fulgham a little bit bigger, uh, JJ Ortega Whiteside a little bit bigger, but we don't know what the future is for any of those players. So I think having a player with size and with some of the uh, yak that Kyle Pitts was able to show um, and in a big program, I think in a league that we saw in the Super Bowl, you know, Rob Gronkowski have a two touchdown game, but the tight end is a valued position and Dallas Goddard has been great for the Eagles, but he also does have an injury history and he's going to need to come off the field now. And again, it'd be nice to, to have another player like that um, if we're viewing Pitts as a, a true hybrid. So that takes us then, if we're taking Kyle Pitts in the first round to pick 37, which would be the Eagles second round pick and the cornerbacks available are Eric Stokes. The top three are uh, Eric Stokes, Asante Samuel and uh, Kelvin Joseph. And I, I've, not really watched Kelvin Joseph that much yet. I think he's a, a player out of um, Kentucky and I, I believe he had one year there and may have been a transfer from another school. So probably some research still to be done on our end, but Eric Stokes, Mike, a player I know you've watched and Asante Samuel, obviously also coming from uh, a family pedigree of, of corners with his dad, having been an Eagle. Um, who are you going who are you kind of leaning toward between those two players? If it was between those two with the second uh, round pick for the Eagles. Yeah. So if it's between those two picks, uh, it is another tough one, but I'm going to use the same. Actually, I'm going to use the opposite rationale of what I uh, used earlier in order to draft Sertan uh, over Farley. And I would take Asante um, because I think with that number two pick, one thing, Asante's draft stock rose so much this year playing football. Um, if you look at standings prior to this year, he he wasn't he wasn't a second or he wasn't he's a potential first round pick actually in this draft. Um, and you know he Stokes would have been way ahead of him because Stokes is a very proven um, player and you know he plays in a program where there are a lot of really good defensive backs. But Asante comes in, improving his, his stock a lot this year. So he's on the upward trend. His dad played so well in the NFL. Um, he's got this really great closing speed. And that's probably, you know, that is a little bit of an X factor 
you can't really teach that like ball hawking closing speed like Asante Samuel trademark uh, move that we saw out of his father. Asante Jr., he's got that. And, um, you know, that's going to be something that's just not teachable. Hopefully he can grow and become the better player overall. But I do think um, Asante might take, you know, he he will be a multi-year developing player, similar to what we saw in Brandon Graham. Um, You know, we can't, Although being a second round pick, maybe we won't hold him to the same standard. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, I think it'll take a couple of years, but he could really develop into a high value pick two or three years down the line. Yeah, As- Asante's definitely a baller, just like his dad. And in the sense that um, his size to me is the first thing that I'll sort of touch on as being a, a, a factor. Uh, Eric Stokes is is just a little bit taller and in this league um, the Eagles especially I feel like have struggled with taller receivers so it'll depend how they look at that body type and I think um, there's not a big difference there but there's enough of a difference that if Asante has a great vertical maybe at his pro day um, that we all feel a lot better about it the Eagles have uh, met with Asante Samuel already uh, via Zoom he's met with a number of teams but the Eagles have been one of them so uh, Asante, just to sort of break his game down, uh, spent three years at Florida State. He's 5'11", 184. He came away with four interceptions, 29 passes defense, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery, 93 tackles, three of which were tackled for loss, and he's projected to run in the four fives. Uh, one thing I'll say that's a little different from his dad's game is, is Asante Sr. is a little bit more of a finesse player who play off the ball and just come flying in and, and pick it off, um, but not as big of a hitter. And Asante Jr. seems to really be physical in his style, uh, despite being a little bit shorter. Uh, Eric Stokes, by contrast, is 6'1", 185, spent three years at Georgia, also had four interceptions, but two of them returned for touchdowns, uh, 22 passes defense, 78 tackles, one sack, two tackles for loss, a forced fumble, um, also projected to run in the four fives. I have to say, I'm really intrigued by Asante and what I see in his game, uh, but the uh, programs also play into account here. So where Eric Stokes in playing for Georgia played against SEC talent, Asante uh, played in the ACC against those receivers. So the competition is a factor. And to me, the size is a factor. I'm a little bit more torn. Like I'm actually more inclined to go with Stokes here. Um, I I do like Asante and what he can bring to the table um, and maybe pending a vertical um, that's really explosive. I would like to see, you know, if if he can sort of make up for his lack of height, but uh, I really like Stokes' game a lot. I think he's a player that uh, his name sort of keeps coming up and, and he was exciting to watch, not to say Asante Jr. was not, uh, but I think, I think we're a little split on this one. I think it sounds like, yeah, you know, I mean, I think you make a really good point, Chris, uh, about body types. And just one thing that I've noticed in researching cornerbacks this year is um, I think a knock on most, if not all, um, although some cornerbacks are better in this area, they have tackling problems. And that's a question mark transferring from college to the NFL about um, how good a tacklers they are. You know, are they good in press coverage? Are they good? Uh, how physical can they be? And yeah, I mean, it's a, it's definitely a big question mark and something you have to consider with guys who are down around the 180 mark. Um, I just, 
watching Asante's tape, it, it, it really just was reminiscent of his dad. And um, it, it, it makes me, intuition makes me think he can develop into a great player. I also think a very interesting question or a hypothetical would be if uh, Stokes, Tyson Campbell, um, and I think the other Georgia cornerback is DJ Daniel. Um, let's put DJ Daniel on the table. If it's Stokes and Tyson Campbell on the table, who are you taking? I think I think they're going to be a round away. Honestly, I think Stokes will probably go in the second round and, and Campbell will go in the third round. Uh, that's just how it looks now. And we're still in February. And obviously the draft isn't for another couple of months. Um, Campbell is a really, really physical player. Um, and I think he's got a little bit more to him in that way than, than Stokes does. And, and that's saying a lot because Stokes is also an extremely physical player. Um, I don't really see it being um, apples to apples in terms of the, I guess, value. Uh, I do see Stokes being more of a second, Campbell being more of a, of a third. And we're um, in the process of doing our, our last uh, corner mock draft for tonight. But uh, I think I would be inclined to go with with Stokes there just because I think um, the speed element will, will play big. And I think that Tyson Campbell might um, might still need a little bit of development in that area. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a good point. It goes back into like, do you want proven or do you want development capability? Um, Campbell definitely has the development capability where Stokes has the, the proven pedigree. But just as a tidbit to remind, you know, I, I did say this on another podcast, but Campbell and Patrick Sertan went to the same high school uh, in Plantation, Florida. They were the two top cornerbacks, cornerback uh, prospects coming into college. Uh, really similar builds, the two of them. They both run around four or five. Uh, but Campbell looks to be a little bit faster than Sertan. And the thing that I keep reading about Campbell and uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding like too like weirdly into this guy's body, but um, Campbell, it just, they just keep this saying no, that. Don't hear Mike. This is no judgment. <laughs> everything that I keep reading is that he just has loose hips, which is allows him to in coverage turn left and right really easily. Um, so he has these physical attributes that are highly sought after at the NFL level. Um, compared to Stokes, who's a little bit smaller and might not be able to have the physicality to play. Um, it's interesting to see that you're seeing Campbell go in the third round because, and, and maybe, you know, who knows where people are actually going to go. I think Campbell, I've been seeing Campbell as a second round projection. Um, okay. Well, just for, just for kind of the, I guess, the sake of continuing this exercise, um, so I, uh, I took Kyle Pitts with the first uh, pick or the first round pick, excuse me, at six overall. I took a guy named Richie Grant uh, at a UCF, who's a really great safety uh, with the second round pick. So coming to the third round here, um, the corners who are available. Um, the first is Afeatu Melifonwu from Syracuse. The second is Tyson Campbell. And the third is Sean Wade. So very interestingly, uh, the three corners I sort of identified as being the guys that they could take in the third round. Now, Sean Wade has uh, most of his college success coming out of the slot, but does have some outside experience. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, that's correct. So Sean Wade could have could have entered the draft um, in 2020, but opted to come back to Ohio State in order to get playing time on the outside so he could increase his draft stock. Um, slot 
corners are not as highly drafted um, as outside corners are. So he played this past year on the outside, took a lot of responsibility. He didn't shine as well as he did in the slot, not to say that he can't in the future, but I think he is very proven as a slot uh, receiver and, or as a slot corner. And if he's going to be drafted, I think the third round would be a great spot to pick Sean Wade. Here is a guy pre 2021 season was slated to be the one uh, in the top two prospects for cornerbacks. Um, You know, play from other guys on the outside has kind of pushed him down a little bit, but he's a value pick that could be gotten in the third round. Tyson Campbell, obviously a lot of, um, a lot of potential there is a team willing to invest in that and maybe develop him and um, get him some better, tighter coverage on guys in man coverage. Um, And then the last person. Yeah. Yeah. I was just watching tape of him right before this podcast. He looks like a very solid player, good eyes, good at jumping routes, um, high athleticism. It's a toss up. Yeah, I, it's a tough thing also because you're, you're taking into account Sean Wade's experience being in the slot and um, that I think a lot of the value for that player is viewed as, as being positional. I do think the Eagles have a positional need in the slot. Um, and that there's a likelihood they come away from this draft with more than one corner. Um, I have to say, I, I really like, um, I really like Tyson Campbell from the very start, from the first few times I watched him. But when we look at the numbers, um, just comparing Campbell and Melifonwu, um, Campbell had over the three years he played at Georgia, he's 6'2", 185. He had one interception, 10 passes defensed, uh, which may mean that, that quarterbacks weren't throwing his way as much. One forced fumble, three fumble recoveries, 89 tackles, one sack, three and a half uh, tackles for loss. And uh, he's projected to run a four or five. Melifonwu played three years at Syracuse. Um, so obviously, again, we're talking about SCC here versus ACC. Melifonwu plays three years at Syracuse. Um, he's 6'2 in the 180s somewhere, maybe just over 200. Um, has three interceptions, 19 passes defended, 89 tackles, five tackles for loss. So in terms of numbers, you know, it's a little bit spread around, but both are really physical players who are size-wise just about the same. Um, I think even though I really like uh, Melifanwu, I think Tyson Campbell's experience against some of the best players in this year's draft, like Jamar Chase, uh, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, that makes me lean a little bit more toward Tyson Campbell um, just from the, the experience standpoint and also from uh, just the caliber of play. His numbers don't jump off the page um, other than in the physical categories where the tackles and the forced fumbles, uh, the sacks, the tackles for loss, those things really stand out. And his uh, figure kind of supports that, yeah. Yeah, and this was something I also came across just watching um, Georgia fan videos of of their team and um, kind of reaction analysis during the season. It was really surprising to me. And the one thing that does scare me about Tyson Campbell is that um, Georgia fans are a little bit like, why is this guy starting on our defense? He is... Uh, their reaction is that he is one of the more frustrating players to watch um, 
because of, I guess, you know, just particular burns that happen throughout, throughout the season. And I think when you watch a guy's highlight film, you're not obviously watching the bad plays, you're watching the good plays. And, you know, it's probably worth noting that Georgia fans are like, why is there all this hype around Campbell? Stokes is clearly our, our best um, corner cornerback. Um, it's, it's the fact of the matter is, is that Campbell has the, the technical skills. He's got the physical build. He's got the speed. Um, he's got the loose hips, as I was saying, um, that are just so coveted by the NFL team if NFL teams think they can teach the rest, um, you know, that's up to them, but a warning mark from Georgia fans um, look, you know, maybe, maybe be cautious with Campbell. Yeah. And, and they would know best, obviously, you know, that it's been said to me before that um, in, in Georgia, that, you know, there are more Georgia um, Bulldog fans than there are Atlanta Falcons fans, just college football really rules down there. But, uh, you know, I think they would know best. I have to say in this mock, uh, looking at it being a third round pick, my gut would actually be to go with Sean Wade. And, and it comes from a couple of things. Um, go ahead. What's your reaction there? No, I, I, I like the pick because um, I think we, we're getting more of a sure thing in Sean Wade. And again, you know, we're going with the proven program played against solid competition you know, physical player can play on the inside, uh, has versatility to move to the outside, maybe where as a development goal for him long-term, but, you know, can come in, contribute, um, can blitz, can tackle, do all of these things that are, um, you know, kind of sought after, but yeah, no, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the dialogue. I, I think when we look at this position uh, being the third round, I think that is influencing how we're picking here um, because we might prize um, the outside corner experience or success. We might prize the, the slightly bigger build because uh, Sean Wade's a little bit, a little bit on the skinnier side, but, um, but at the same time, you know, a really solid player at six, one, um, he had three years at Ohio state. He had six interceptions over that time. Uh, one pick six, 18 passes, defense, 91 total tackles, uh, five tackles for loss, two sacks, um, three forced fumbles. He's projected to run a four, four 40. So a little bit quicker. Um, I think this is a player that has experience in a big program in a few different roles. And I think, you know, what you're getting, as Mike said, a little bit more with Wade uh, than with Campbell or with Melifonwu. So I think that would probably be our pick there. It sounds like we agree on uh, who the first round pick would be in Patrick Sertan and in who the third round pick would be if the Eagles spend uh, that way at the cornerback position in Sean Wade, but that we're split when it comes to a second round pick. And truthfully, if I'm a betting man, I think it's more the second round pick that the Eagles would choose to spend with a, an offensive coach just being hired in Nick Sirianni. I could see them using that first overall, I'm sorry, sixth overall pick uh, on an offensive player and uh, waiting until the second round to use uh, on a cornerback. So if that's the case, it seems like we're split. I, I kind of lean more toward Eric Stokes and Mike more, to, more toward uh, Sante Samuel. And as of now, 
The Eagles have met with Asante Samuel. So there is some sort of interest there. Um, truthfully, I'd be really happy with either, but I do think that the Eagles um, defensive back size was a factor last year and has been a factor before Darius Slay is a player who's six foot or six foot one. So it'd be nice to have another taller player on the other side to deal with some of these receivers that the Eagles will be dealing with this year. But uh, Mike, a really nice breakdown there. I think we're, if the Eagles decide to use their first round or their third round picks, we're in agreement. But if it's a second, it's going to be a little bit of a toss up and a lot can still change. Yeah, it'll definitely be a toss up, but I'm, you know, I'm with you as well. The Eagles between Asante and um, Eric Stokes, Eric Stokes. I mean, you know, both are solid picks and I don't think either can, um, you know, either can develop into good players. Stokes more immediate than Asante. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think no matter what, go ahead. And I, I, I was just going to say like with the third round pick, the thing that I was thinking about was um, that I, I would rather have um, a player, not be a development player just because of what we did last year. Uh, Davion Taylor mm-hmm. was a development player in the third round. And, you know, we watched all of the clips of this guy and he had so much um, talent. He has a lot of talent. Will he ever develop into the player that the Eagles drafted him to be? Maybe not. And, you know, maybe that is a case study to keep in mind when you're trying to decide for Tyson Campbell. He's a guy with all this talent, a little more playing experience than Davion Taylor, but will he ever develop? Not sure. Ultimately, I think we can agree that if you're going to have to decide between future talent versus proven pedigree, I'm, I'm putting a little more stock into proven pedigree than um, potential. Yeah, and obviously the, the two picks where we really talked about that were Patrick Sertan uh, in the first round that we both agreed on and Asante Samuel both coming from sort of football families. But I think a combination of the, the big question mark that is the Eagles defensive backfield outside of Darius Slay and also the fact that they hired a defensive coordinator whose background is primarily with defensive backs. I think there's a really strong likelihood the Eagles use uh, could be their first round pick. That would still surprise me if it was sixth overall on uh, a cornerback like Sertan or Farley, but it makes a really big statement if they do it. And it takes care of a need hopefully for uh, a little while because Darius Slay is, is an aging player and the Eagles are going to need um, to have somebody foundationally that they grow through the draft. Um, and obviously we both agree that it's Sertan. I wouldn't be upset with Farley, but I think if it, if they have the choice between the two, I would probably go uh, Sertan there, but more likely that the Eagles use a second round pick and that we struggled to agree on, on who that might be. And a lot can change on the draft boards between now and then, but Mike, it was good to talk a little Eagles with you tonight. Likewise, man. Always fun to talk to birds. Um, let's hope for a good draft. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what's next on the agenda. So obviously there'll be uh, more things going on in the offseason and free agency and likely the Eagles releasing more players in the cap situation that they're in. But we'll catch up uh, the next time that we're on the Eagles water cooler. Good job, Mike. Go Birds. Go Birds.